You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to Orange County's longest running business talk show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. We have a great show planned for you today. Why do you ask? Because Mike Brown, founder and principal at Blue Line Consulting, is our featured guest. Mike, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on the show. So let's get started with the simple questions, kind of your origin story. Tell us about your original motivation that led you to start Blue Line Consulting. Uh, well, I probably have a non-standard orig- origination story. I actually had no desire to be an entrepreneur, unlike probably many of your guests. So, in fact, I was nearly the complete opposite, where I was considered a company man, you know, company first, ultra loyal. Funny enough, thought I was going to retire at every company I worked at. So, you know, that didn't work out. Um, but what happened, I was at a company for seven years. Uh, we were acquired by HSBC, you know, the largest bank in the world at the time. And that's when the Great Recession hit. HSBC effectively pulled out of North America. Um, I decided to take the rest of 2009 off. I hadn't had any time off, you know, probably three or four years, uh, somewhat of a workaholic. Hmm. And so during that time off, I had people just reach out to me, people that worked for me or I worked with. You know, somebody was working at a company that was helping people that were defrauded by mortgage lenders. So I did some compliance work for them. I had another company that uh, another friend had a mortgage company that was not doing well, obviously, in 2009. And so he was going to go under a bank and he wanted me to come with him and meet the CEO and just review the terms uh, of the contract. And it kind of just ballooned from there. I had different people reaching out to me, but I viewed it all as side work, something I was doing <laughs> until I took a job. Right. And that's actually what happened. I ended up taking a full time job with one of the consulting companies or one of the companies I was consulting with. And that's been my MO for you know a decade plus where I would work at a company, we would get acquired or you know we would wind it down. I would do some consulting and you know rinse and repeat. And that's been the case until the last few years where things changed and the consulting really picked up. Which leads me to my next question. So since 2009, when did you feel that you really had a, a, a consulting business that you could really dedicate yourself to and stop looking or thinking about going back to work for somebody? Uh, it was only in the past few years. So it was 2018, I was winding down another company. I you know, started consulting again, ended up taking a job with one of the clients, uh, you know, Bay Area, early stage fintech, visionary founder, really exciting project. And I'd started winding down the consulting how I'd done before. And we never actually did our raise. I mean, we raised a couple million, but we were supposed to raise 10 plus million to get things going. So I never wound down the consulting and actually started winding it up. So hmm. you know, at the time, I had a lot of clients that were independent mortgage bankers, banks, credit unions. And as I had more time to dedicate to it, it started expanding to you know a larger part of the mortgage ecosystem, title companies, insurance companies, AMCs, signing services, uh, technology vendors. There was a couple of companies doing POSs, LOSs. I did some analysis work for some of the VCs looking to do some M&A activity in the space. You know, it just kept on expanding from there. And during that time, I also started doing work with some neobanks, some Web3 companies. And sometime during that, I don't know, few year period, you know, I doubled my prices. I doubled them again. <laughs> 
people still wanted to hire me. And so I was like, wow, maybe, maybe I should reconsider this as a side business. And so it was probably maybe mid 2020 or early 21 where I really thought, no, I could actually do this full time going forward. So, so you've mentioned a lot of interesting areas and I guess it would lead to, at least in my mind, it led me to think about, you know, let's talk about your firm. You know, who do you help? What problems are you solving for them? And why are they choosing to work with you? Sure. So historically, Blue Line worked with you know, independent mortgage bankers, usually companies between 50 and 250 employees. And a lot of you know well-run companies in that you know size frame, but you simply can't have all the people you need on the bus when you have a few hundred people. I've also worked with some companies that have 10,000 people and they have you know, an SVP of corporate meetings. They have an L&D department, general counsel, a CISA, you know, every role imaginable. Or when you have 100 or 200 people, you just can't have that. So what ends up happening is those companies either don't do the work that's necessary, right? Because they don't have somebody to do it, or they put somebody in charge of it that doesn't have the experience and, you know, get less than optimal results. And even if the person that's in charge of it has the skill set, usually they're wearing so many hats that, Hmm. you know, they can't dedicate the time necessary to that task. So they'll usually bring me in, you know, I would say the best thing I'd characterize myself as fractional COO. So anything a COO would do at a small company, you know, someone that's got to roll up their sleeves, whether that's training people, whether that's writing credit risk or policies, whether it's, you know, getting licensed or process flows or, you know, payroll, scheduling, anything that you could possibly imagine, they kind of bring me in to help lift where they're deficient at. So it, it, you're in a niche and I commend entrepreneurs. I think it's a great best practice, especially when you're starting out to focus in a niche that you have some desire to be in because it's generally easier to become right. known in a smaller market. It's hard to boil the ocean. How did you, how do you feel about being in the niche that you have chosen and now thrived in? Um, I've always enjoyed mortgage banking. Uh, you know, I didn't, I'm somewhat a workaholic. I didn't have a lot of life. I'm subscribed to every mortgage periodical. When new regulations come out, I read them front to back. Oh. When, uh, when we got into FHA with HSBC, I printed out the manuals and they were as tall as me and went home and read them, you know, a long time ago before you're reading, you know, on an iPad or so forth. Sure. So it's, it's certainly much easier to become a subject matter expert in a small space. Um, the downside is obviously it's a smaller market, although mortgage banking, you know, it's a trillion dollar industry. So it's more than I'm going to need to grow it. Uh, but in times like this, that's obviously can be problematic when the mortgage industry is you know, in the worst spot it's been in since 2008. So, so tell know, us, tell us a little bit about that. Cause you're, you're seeing it kind of from being inside the space. What, what's going on in the industry? So the Fed obviously has dramatically increased rates in a short amount of time. And normally what happens when rates increase, it's relatively slow. So companies adapt. They start doing arms or, you know, shorter terms. They start getting into you know, more exotic products like bank statement loans, you know, for affordability. But the Fed basically blew past all that. The rates effectively tripled in a short time frame. So there is an implosion going on in the mortgage industry. Hmm. The expectations are next year that a third of independent mortgage bankers are either going to merge or go out of business. And I would say that's probably a conservative take on it. I mean, refinances are down 90%. Volume is supposed to be down 50% next year. 
So there is a massive amount of contradiction, uh, contraction going on in the industry over the course of this year, which will continue into next year. And how does that impact you? Uh, it's certainly harder to find clients. You know, people are willing to spend money to grow. They're always willing to, you know, bring in help to increase revenue. They're not always willing to bring in help to cut costs or you know, to shrink the pie. You know, there's a lot of companies that have done poorly with how they manage layoffs and not sending out warn notices and so forth. So there's certainly a reason to bring in external help, but there's less of a desire and just less money available, right? People mm -hmm. that were willing to invest in technology a year ago may not be willing to invest in it now. Um, so certainly it's harder to find clients in the space right now. However, you know, over the last couple of years, branching out more into fintech and, you know, working with auto companies, card companies, personal loans, I'm still more than busy. It's just shifted from, you know, 85% mortgage banking to probably 60% mortgage banking just based off where the market is today. So tell me a little bit about what you do in the fintech space and what type of technology and et cetera you're getting experience with because of that. Uh, it's, it's pretty wide. Uh, I've done a lot in the crypto space over the last uh, few years, although again, that's not the best space to be in now either. Um, but a lot of the fintech, you know, it's a, it's just a word to say. It doesn't really mean anything by itself, but really it's companies trying to bring technology to financial services. So that could be payroll, that could be credit cards, that could be, you know, neobanks, places like Chime. So it's an interesting space. And where, where I think it's the most interesting is traditional financial services, the technology is way behind, right? We're, mm -hmm. we're using 20-year-old technology. And there's a lot of reasons why that happens. You know, there's a lot of inertia to change, and there's a lot of regulatory restrictions to change that makes it difficult. So it's hard to get a lot of you know, revolutionary ideas coming from within the industry. So usually you'll have people coming from outside the industry wanting to disrupt it. But it's hard for them because they don't understand the minutia. They don't understand all the regulations where there's a reason that we do certain things, right? I was working with one company that wanted to advertise that, you know, from 60 days to six days to buy your house. Well, that's illegal, right? The regulations require that there's a seven day period from when you disclose and there's a Sunday. So there's eight days. Uh -huh. And so a lot of times with the technology companies, I'll serve more as a subject matter expert to help them guide through that. Yes, that's a great idea. And that would be fantastic for the consumer, but it doesn't work because, you know, RESPA, TILA, ECOA, or other regulations, or in the mortgage space, a lot of people want to bring in blockchain or other technology, mm -hmm. which 100% the market's going to go there, right? I fully support that, but they forget that all the deeds are recorded at the county, right? And there's thousands of counties across the U.S. All the mortgages are registered on MERS, right? They have nearly 100% dominance in that space. Most of the loans are sold to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or Ginnie Mae. So you can do whatever you want in the space, but if you're doing a non-agency deal, that's you know a couple percentage of the market. So mm -hmm. you think you're disrupting a trillion dollar market and you're not, right? You're disrupting this, this much of the market. So, so you've been in this sector long enough to see, because you kind of started in the, you know, in the ebbs and flows of the business, right? right. Whether it's the Great Recession or it's now the interest rates, 
Um, what have what is your experience? What's on the other side of what you're about to what this industry is about to go through or is currently going through? Because there will be, you know, buying homes is such an ingrained behavior in the American society that there's going to be demand. And when there's demand and there's supply, there's commerce. What, yeah. what do you think is going to be whenever that is in the future? But what do you think is going to come back out of this? And what have you seen? Um, long-term technology is going to be the biggest shift, right? The mortgage process is super inefficient. You go to buy an airline, you uh, airline ticket, you wouldn't think to call a travel agent on the phone, right? You'd go to Kayak or another site. So the mortgage industry over time is going to shift into more of that push button, get mortgage. Mm. It's very far from that right now, regardless of what people are advertising. So that's kind of the longer shift I see. You know, near term, you're going to see a lot of contraction in the space. You're going to see companies going out of business and shrink, shrinking. But at the end of that, you're going to have companies that, you know, managed well to the bottom dollar, became more efficient, are going to be more effective once they get out of it. And then some of the downside that'll probably happen. I mean, obviously people losing their jobs is bad, um, but, you know, macro from a macro perspective, some of the down things that'll probably happen, you'll see an easing of regulation, right? Dodd-Frank came out because the mortgage sector imploded the economy. Right now, mortgages are going to be hard for people to get. It's going to get ugly. It's you know not going to be a great economy, and more than likely, you're going to see easing of some of the restrictions that have helped prevent an implosion. So, how far that goes, I have no idea. <laughs> but I would say certainly you're going to see more exotic loan products coming up in the future. There's always something going on in your space, and and because it's so familiar to so many people, homeowners people who want to buy a home, people that used to own a home. It's its not a foreign concept because many times people that are listening in the audience have a direct experience with purchasing property or, or selling it or something. So it's the other thing that will happen short term is people have an amazing amount of equity in their homes and okay. the highest equity ever. And they wow. also have the highest consumer debt ever. So you'll see a lot of people tapping into equity. So second mortgages have not been a big part of the market for the last 10 years. So you'll start seeing HELOCs and HELONs become a greater percentage of the market and more companies going into that space. We have enjoyed such a long run of really low interest rates that it almost feels like that's what is normal when historically, right, Mike, if you look at a longer time frame, the rates that we were experiencing just recently are abnormally low. Yes. Yeah, when I got in the industry, rates were 8%. So they're still lower than that. And, you know, when my mom bought our house growing up, she had a 13% interest rate on a first mortgage. So, you know, consumers will eventually get used to 5% being a good rate. Where right now, you know, <laughs> well, right now it is a good rate. But, you know, people see 7% and they would laugh at you, right? I'm not going to refinance my house. But, right. and, you know, once that becomes normal and people get accustomed to it, then you'll see more activity happening again. Right. Yeah. And like it or not, if you need a bigger house or you're moving or whatever, you need a smaller house, you've got to give up that low rate interest loan you have to get the new property. And that's going to be at a higher rate. So one of the funniest marketing strategies I've seen recently is date the rate, marry the house. Right? I've had guests yeah. on this show who have said that. Oh, as a matter of fact. I've seen it about 50 times in the last couple of months. And it's great <laughs> marketing. Yeah. It's probably... The right idea, but you know, affordability is certainly key. You want you don't want to buy a house you can't afford. Right. Right. But when you're in a house for any extended period of time, generally people do refinance. It's yes. you know, maybe if you've got a 
two and a half or three percent rate maybe you're going to sit with that for the rest of your life because it's so attractive but usually people do for whatever reason home improvements or something do refinance so there's always it's again it's commerce supply demand commerce happens we're we're talking with mike brown and we're talking about the industry but let's let's get back to you as an entrepreneur where are you going to get the access to other entrepreneurs who have insight and experience that can help you to stay ahead of the competition and, and grow your business I would say I don't always do a great job of networking with other entrepreneurs. You know, I'm not part of any masterminds or anything like that. However, most of the companies I'm working with are a few hundred people and I'm dealing directly with the C-suite people there. So although they're bringing me in to help them, you know, it is a two-way street because I'm working with smart people that are entrepreneurial and I get to see how different people run their businesses, you know, different problems people are experiencing. And that that gives me a lot of uh, personal benefit and helps me run my business, seeing you know what works well and what doesn't in different environments and in different situations. I uh, have to believe that the opportunity for you to consult with a number of different companies, even if they're kind of around the same niche, gives you great experience on best practices and how people yeah. are solving problems. One hundred percent, and you know I've. I'm a strong proponent believing there's no correct decision, right? Every decision you make is like pros and cons associated with it. And so really you're going to have consequences, positive, negative, <laughs> neutral, and probably unintended with any decision you make. So seeing the different results in different environments is certainly helpful with working with other companies. And even sometimes a company maybe has an issue, but it's not high enough up their priority list to actually invest the money to solve that problem where for somebody else it is, and I will figure that problem out for the other company, and I can bring that knowledge back to that company and you know, do it in a much shorter time frame at a cost that is reasonable and is worth them investing in. So there's certainly a lot of synergy there with working with different companies. And I think that's another intended consequence, positive consequence yeah. of being in a niche because solved problems for one company can also be probably problems that other companies right. that are similar are facing so you can actually replicate your knowledge a little more easily because it's it's so similar so exactly a lot of people ask me you know have you seen this before and usually the answer is yes and you know, <laughs> how many eight or nine years ago when i'd worked at you know three companies maybe maybe i haven't seen it but now that i've worked with hundreds of companies there's not that many scenarios i haven't seen so mm -hmm. it certainly helps you know understanding more of what's happening out there and you know different ways to solve problems. So if you're listening to this either live on the stream or later as a podcast, that is a teachable moment we just had here between Mike and myself, which is the power of being in a niche. And if you're not in a niche, one of the ways that I'd suggest you consider finding a niche is look at your current customer base and see if you happen to have a concentration of any specific sector or niche that you could try to find more like the current customers do you have. So just FYI, let's talk about tomorrow for you. Can you describe the vision of the future for your firm? Well, it's pretty much uh, keep on keeping on. So, you know, I enjoy what I do. Again, I accidentally got into this, but, you know, I'm constantly challenged. I'm learning new things and you know, I'm paying the bills. I enjoy what I do. So for the next three to five years, I don't expect material changes. Um, you know, eventually I assume that I'll get back more heavily focused on mortgage banking as you know, that comes back around again. Um, but right now I'm enjoying what I'm doing. You know, I have a toddler at home and 
Although my wife would say I have no work-life balance at all. You know, yesterday he wanted to go play basketball. So I took off from 3.30 to 4.30, mm. you know, rode the bike over there with them. Now I worked to midnight, but <laughs> it's nice having that flexibility of not being in an office all day, a change of the desk. So. Right. Yeah. Because those years go by fast when they're little, the children. And uh, my friend says, young children, long days, short years. And so if you're there to be a part of that, time for them that is priceless mike and that's that's one of the advantages of being an entrepreneur i'm sorry you said i said that's a great statement i had not heard that before okay well there you go i gave you gave you something you can pass on please it's not for me i passing on from someone else if someone would like to learn more about you and the firm what do you suggest they do mike um easiest way is just to email me my email is mike pretty easy at blueline.consulting so no.com at the end, just blueline.consulting. Nice. You can well, also find me on LinkedIn, but you yes. know, Mike Brown, there, there's a lot of Mike Browns. Out there. <laughs> I had trouble finding it when I was first looking. It's for great you. for staying anonymous, but uh, if you want to find me, it's a little harder. Yeah. So I appreciate the time. This has been fun. I knew we'd have a good conversation. Thanks for sharing a piece of what you know about your business and your story. The time has flown by, but I do appreciate your time. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. And thank you to the audience. You're a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. And I appreciate the fact that you're loyal listeners who check us out and listen to our shows. Mike's show is episode number 1,411 in our catalog. And if you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you have a story to tell and you would like to tell it to an audience, then reach out to me. I am Rick, R-I-C, Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. That's also my website, rickfranzi.com. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope that all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. Mm-hmm.